Thank you for coming to the podcast. Top Turtle MMA Podcast is brought to you by Sisu Mouthguards. Sisu makes the most thinnest, lightweight, durable mouthguard ever invented. If you are in the market for a new mouthguard, you are going to want to head on over to sisuguard.com. Find the right mouthguard for your sport or activity. You can talk, you can breathe, you can drink. All with the mouth guard in your mouth. There has never been another mouth guard like it. We are also brought to you by Band Coffee. Band Coffee makes the world's strongest coffee with a great taste, great aroma. It's strong, it's smooth, it's chock full of vitamins and minerals, and it has three times the amount of caffeine than an energy drink. If you do stuff during your day and sometimes feel a little sluggish, you're going to want to head on over to bandcoffee.com, enter in promo code TOPTURTLEMMA, all one word, and get yourself a 20% discount off your Band Coffee order. Band Coffee, the world's strongest coffee, and Sisu Mouthguards brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast. <laughs> Are rolling. I am David Tremonti, joined as always by my co-host Daniel Gumby Vreeland, Top Turtle MMA podcast on FlowCombat.com. That's the mothership. We, of course, are available there. Also, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, wherever a podcast can be played, we're there. We're omnipresent. We are taping this the morning after the weird Bellator pay-per-view. It's really the only way to describe it. Uh, in the main event, you had Shell Sun and getting the unanimous decision win over Vanderlei Silva. Gumby, let's start with this. What did you make of the Bellator event overall? Oh, God, it's so weird to think about, too, because you got to think of it in, in twofold, right? Because you think of it in terms of entertainment value, which I think there was, it, there was entertainment value. But when you think about it as in a chance to, like, build the stars and build your brand, I think it strikes out there. Because when you think about it, like, right, like, who is it really important that they build in order to make their brand like a new face in MMA, like the, the uh, Michael new- Venom Page, maybe an exciting up and coming fighter. Like I don't know, uh, who's an exciting up and coming well, fighter? About, how about Michael Chandler? He's not even yes. up and coming. But what happens in his fight? He rolls his ankle, and and we lose a champion who's super marketable. Or like you know, he needs they need to market Aaron Pico, right? They, I mean, look at how many freaking advertising dollars went into getting Aaron Pico's name out there. Twenty four seconds later, he's not there anymore. So. While every he, he to be clear, he didn't die. He just no. lost a submission. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> submission slash could have been a knockout at that point, even too. So, I mean, when you when you think about it as from those terms, yeah, it was super entertaining. But you know, do we really need to pump Matt Mitrione up? Do we really need to pump this person? You know, like in the end, I I think it lost its ability to to market its new stars. I think yeah, no, absolutely. I think uh, well, first off, not putting Michael Venom Page to me, who's their most marketable star. He might only have one or two fights left on his contract, so this could have been um, intentional or maybe not saving Rory, who to me is probably the best welterweight in the but, world. But I think they did that though, the Rory thing. I think they did that because. Larkin and Lima have such a track record of having like absolute bangers and not that their fight wasn't exciting, but I feel like it didn't produce a clear cut winner and that also hurt marketing from a marketing standpoint okay well let's go through this one by one because i agree with everything you're saying i think it was entertaining yes i love the entrances i love the announcers seeing uh mike goldberg back i'm obviously a huge <laughs> mark for moro Ronaldo to borrow a phrase from professional wrestling did it build to the next event no 
Um, but I think that's kind of been Bellator's MO. And maybe that's sort of, in a way, uh, obviously they want to build to the next event. But I think for Bellator to be different from the UFC, it's not going to rely on rankings so much. It's going to rely more on these legacy fighters and just kind of fun events. But and it was certainly a fun event. Do you think it's that's sustainable, though? You know what I mean? Like, so uh, from a perspective of making the brand last, right? Because Strikeforce did that to an extent too. Pride did that to an extent too. And and we we can't see Pride or Strikeforce fights anymore. You know, like, it, it, is that a sustainable model in MMA today versus when it wasn't before? Uh, well, here's what I'd say. It's not going to happen overnight. And they do need to be different from the number one promotion, which is the UFC. So I think their version of different is just putting on fun events. Now, that being said, a fun event is two legends who are over the, past their prime mm-hmm. in Shale and Vanderlei. So you don't maybe get the most competitive match. Or a Fedor, who we obviously is past his prime, but you still maybe want to see him because you're a big Fedor fan. Mm-hmm. And the first time in MSG, that's Bellator's MO. They're going to put on just, you know, it might not be the most competitive fight sometimes. That's not what they do. Is it enough to topple the UFC right now? Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. But for a number two promotion, you know, it certainly wasn't a a loss on the day. I don't think so. You know, and I would say, here's the thing. It has two advantages over uh, Strikeforce and Pride. First of all, I love Pride, but Pride was primarily you know a japanese product in a different marketplace and yes you could see the pay-per-views here at 4 a.m and they probably had some big dvd sales in america but it wasn't an american promotion strike force did not have the what was strike force on at its peak it was like showtime maybe maybe showtime right yeah, and it, it might showtime. have had some like nbc play on like a saturday night yeah certainly the fact that spike and the paramount network has a bit of ownership over uh bellator this is a very good thing Mm -hmm. and you know the fact that they are on spike is an opportunity i don't think that maybe strike force ever really had that all being said i think they set out their goal and put on a fun event last night so to me i think yesterday was a win even though it was a weird show let's go into each match here just a little bit uh chael beat vanderlei uh via unanimous decision both guys, or at least Vanderlei, we hadn't seen in four years. Chael had an awful performance against Tito earlier this year. What do you make of that fight, and where do you go next with those two fighters? Uh, it was exactly what I thought it was going to be. I mean, Chael, uh, you know, out-wrestled a dude who he should out-wrestle. And Vanderlei laid on his back and threw his hands up asking for the ref to stand him up as many times as he could. Because somehow he thought that he only has to be on his back for 30 seconds. Who um, do you want to see them face next? I don't ever want to see Vanderlei Silva fight again. Mm-hmm. That's first of all. How about Chael? Um I only vaguely want to see him fight again. It would have to be against some other kind of like washed up legend. He called out Fedor afterwards. I, yeah, he would get freaking demolished by Fedor. I mean, like Tito was too big for him to handle. Why would Fedor be any different? I don't know. I could kind of see Chael maybe just doing the wrestling approach to Fedor. I, I think that's true, but you don't think Fedor can stop Shale's takedown? Don't get me wrong. Shale is an excellent wrestler, but Shale also is, even without cutting weight, 35 pounds lighter than Fedor. Maybe that's what makes it interesting. I'll tell you what. I don't want to see it, so <laughs> who cares? Fedor, Matt Mitrione, the double knockdown. I don't like that people are calling it a double KO. A double KO would mean they were both flatlined. Yeah. Mitrione, I would say, was stunned. It was a double knockdown. Mitrione got up quicker, got the TKO stoppage on Fedor. What do you make of it? Uh, I actually liked it. and You know what? I-, I might be in the minority on this one. That fight actually 
gave me a little bit more faith in Fedor than his last couple of fights have. Um, I thought his ability to stand and trade with a much faster dude and the fact that he's still got enough power to put somebody like Matt Mitrione down, Matt Mitrione's not an easy dude to drop. And if he had just slipped that Mitrione punch just a little bit before he threw that punch, we'd be talking about a different fight right now. Fedor could have won that fight. So let's say you have some faith in Fedor. Who would you want to see him fight next? Um, I mean, I, I would certainly watch him fight Roy Nelson. Roy Nelson is supposed to fight uh, Javi Ayala or something mm. like that. They gave him some like Bellator mainstay. Um, but, you know, say he knocks out Javi Ayala, putting him in Fedor seems like all the right thing to do here. Uh, see, I, I want to see Fedor fight Bobby Lashley just because I don't know why. I think it would be a cool fight. Um, and as for Matt Mitrione, you know, he's going to keep on keeping on. He's at, at the UFC. He was maybe a five to ten ranked heavyweight fighter. I mean, their division's weaker now, but, you know, at, in Bellator, he's like the cream of the crop. Yeah, I, I'd put him in a title fight, but sh- match him up with Shaq Congo. Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, and then you had uh, the weirdness that was the Michael Chandler injury, right? Yeah. So Michael Chandler was the first round, uh, broke his ankle, and doctors came in and basically said he could not continue. He contested it at first, yeah. right? Because he walked around on it afterwards. Yeah. And then the commission pulled the stool out from yeah, under him. That, Did you see that? That was a really weird moment, too, because he stood up to prove he could stand. The guy pulled the stool out like, we're okay, we're going to go. And he went and sat down. And as soon as he fell, that's when they called it off. I would be interested to ask the referee if he called it off because he thought Michael Chandler fell down. <laughs> that's funny. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, because he didn't fall down. He just thought he was going to sit. The, uh, the thing with that, I mean, that's like typical New York State stuff right there, right? <laughs> yeah. it, like we always see, see the weirdest things in uh, in New York State. Yeah, but, but he's going to get a, a rematch for the title. Um, and, and, and people... People will get to see the match that they actually deserve here with Primus uh, getting to do a full five rounds with, with Chandler. Yeah, so Primus is now your uh, your new lightweight one, champ. Lightweight champ. Yeah. Uh, you had Aaron Pico making his debut, much hype debut, uh, and losing in 30 seconds to Zach Freeman. Uh, we said this on the lead up. Zach Freeman's eight and two. It was an unfair matchup to begin with. I don't care how hyped you are, mm-hmm. but you know you even see this with like the UFC. You know, when CM Punk debuted, uh, and don't get me wrong, not making comparisons on the athletic abilities of Aaron Pico versus CM Punk, because that's like, you know, comparing a knife to a gun and what's more deadlier. Um, although, actually, never mind. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but you get what I'm saying. Aaron Pico is way more athletic than CM Punk, and the UFC went out of their way to make sure CM Punk fought another 0-0 fighter, an 0-1 fighter. Um, and you know, maybe that was to their protection of CM Punk cause they knew he was going to get murdered. But I think that's the way, you know, you would want to match up someone who's making their debut an eight and two fighter like with, Zach Freeman with, with title history. You yeah. know, he fought for the LFA, which is one of the biggest promotions out there, not named UFC or Velter. He fought for their title. Uh, but you know what? Pico will be back. You know, if anything, it's a learning lesson. And if anything, it's a learning lesson for Bellator marketing, too, on the, hey, just calm the frick down sometimes and slow your roll. Well, you know what, too? And, and I thought that right when they walked out is, is there was like a hype video for just Pico. There wasn't even anything in there for Freeman, which is a shame, too. This is a guy you could build as, a, as you know, like a future champ in your organization. Uh, 
Douglas Lima got the unanimous decision win over Lorenz Larkin, uh, fresh off of the UFC, is still the 170-pound champion and seemingly has a date with Rory McDonald, I would imagine. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for that fight. I think Rory Mack uh, probably slaughters him, but but he looked good against Lima, or uh, against Larkin, Larkin, rather. Yeah, yeah I was a little underwhelmed by Larkin's performance, but, you know. I, I miss that signature aggression. You know, mm-hmm. like, when the last couple of times we saw him, he came forward like a freaking crazy man. Uh, and, and this time, it, it, he just didn't. Maybe a lot of respect for Lima, I assume, um, which rightfully so. Lima tagged him in the first. Fresh off uh, out of the UFC as well. Actually, has Bader had a fight in Bellator? No, nah, yeah. Yeah, fresh off the UFC as well. You had Ryan Bader beating Phil Davis for the light heavyweight title. Uh, what do you make of that performance? Uh, yeah, decision. I, I mean, I, I think he won, but uh, that's not a fight I would go back and watch if I was a a, you know, a common fan. No, no. Uh, I, you know, you can respect the technicality of both of them, but at the same time, just not exciting. I do think Bader did enough to win. Did you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, he stuffed all the takedowns. The striking was about even. He got right. a couple of takedowns himself. I mean, I, th- I think he got to give it to him. It just was what it was. I think, uh, right now for me where if I'm Bellator, I just put all my marketing dollars, keep getting fighters at 170. That is their best. Division. It seems like their, their big spot is 170, little on 55, little on 05. Uh, but you're right. Th- those two are the money makers well, right with, now. With 205, like Bader and Davis are both very good fighters. You know, guys who would probably be perennially in the top five of the UFC had they stayed in the UFC. I think the problem with Bader and Davis is they're just a class below, as most yeah. people are, your Jones, Cormier's. Uh, so, so we all secretly Rumble. know that they're not the best. Whereas right. with the 170 division, you can argue Rory Mack might be the best in the world. I mean, listen, uh, Damian Maia is fighting Tyron Woodley for the UFC welterweight title later this year, and Rory Mack has a win over both the champion and the challenger. Yeah. Does he have a win over Maya? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. He does have a win over Maya. Yeah, so, like, you're right. You could argue that he, he's the best in the world. Uh, well, it was a fun event. We'll look forward to the next one and see what they, they put on. The MSG setting made it really cool, and the entrances were great. And again, seeing Uncle Mike Goldberg back was a really <laughs> nice uh, feature of the show. Speaking of the UFC and old-school UFC guys, we got a chance to talk to Short Fuse Ed Herman, and we would like to play you that interview right now. was taped a few days ago before the Chael fight, but we still asked him about it, and he kind of nailed it. You'll, yeah, you'll he hear, nail it. You'll hear that in a couple of seconds. This interview is brought to you by Band. Band Coffee. Band Coffee makes the world's strongest coffee, three times the amount of caffeine as your standard energy drink. Head on over to bandcoffee.com, enter in promo code TOPTURTLEMMA, all one word, not case sensitive. Get yourself 20% off. Band Coffee brings you our interview with UFC fighter Ed Herman. This is Daniel Gumby Vreeland here with my co-host Dave Tremonte with Top Turtle MMA Podcast on Flow Combat. And we have the pleasure of speaking to Ed Shortfuse Herman, who fights C.B. Dalloway at the Ultimate Fighter Finale on July 7th. Uh, Ed, you know, you've been with the UFC. It's coming up on your 11th year anniversary of your UFC debut. Uh, you're looking at over 20 fights. What do you attribute to the longevity you've had in the UFC in such a volatile time when, when the roster changes so often? I'm a bad motherfucker. <laughs> no, uh, you know, uh, I feel like I put on good fights, win or lose, you know. I'm a little, I think I'm 10-8-1, and one, and I'm one fight in strike force. So, you know, I have a winning record in the UFC. And, uh, you know, again, I think my fights are entertaining. I come to, uh, I come to scrap every time. 
a lot has been said in, in recent times with the UFC being bought out uh, by WMEIMG and, you know, all kinds of other things happening with Lorenzo and, and gang leaving. Is working with the UFC now in 2017 much different than when you were started working back with them in 2006? A few things are different, but there's a lot of similarities too, you know. There's a lot of the same people around. Well, not a lot of the same people, but there's a few of the same faces around who've been there for a long time, which is cool, you know. So you have that rapport with some of the behind-the-scenes UFC staff that are, you know, have always been great and continue to be great, like people who've been there since the beginning. Let's talk a little bit about your training, getting ready for this fight. So C.B. Dalloway, you know, a guy who uh, who's kind of a noted wrestler, but you've got plenty of wrestlers in your camp as well. Where do you expect this fight to take place, and, and what are you kind of expecting <clears throat> out of him? You know, C.B. can wrestle for sure, but, you know, he's uh, – He's worked on his boxing a lot, his stand-up, and he's gotten pretty confident in it as well. So uh, it seems like the last half a dozen fights, he's really spent a lot of the fight on his feet, or as much as he could. Um, he did get knocked out, I think, his last fight by Nathan Marquardt, so he's probably, you know, sometimes guys are a little sketchy about their chin, so we'll see if he's, uh, you know, tries to take me down. Um, I think he's going to try and box until, you know, he feels some power, and then he'll start shooting. Mm-hmm. But it's hard to say, you know. There's depends on which CB shows up. And, and he is that the type of fighter that has had uh, really big highs and really big lows. Now, you've, you talked a little bit about wanting to take you down. You know, some people don't realize uh, that, you know, the pedigree that you have on the ground, being a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. Do you feel that that's something in the UFC that you've, uh, you know, because you've had the crazy knockouts and the good boxing as well, do you believe that's something that you've had uh, not utilized to its full potential? Well, I'm not quite a black belt yet. I'm a brown belt with three stripes. I would be probably a black belt, um, but I just, you know, don't always spend as much time in the gi as I should. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I've been grappling in a gi since 2005 with Fabiano Scherner and Nogi since, you know, 2001 or 2000. So um, my skills are there on the ground. I've showed it in some of my earlier fights. Kyle Nook, you got to see some, mm-hmm. some of my ground game. Um, but you're right. You get caught up standing and banging. Um, for sure, it happens. And you know, so you mentioned training with Fabiano Scherner. You know, we've we've seen a lot of you know really great grapplers coming in and out of the gyms you train in. You know, you're a Team Quest guy who's obviously had some amazing grapplers. You're training with Scherner now. We saw Uriah Faber was there uh, up preparing with with the team as well. Is there any chance? You know, we're we're big fans of the the sub only movement. Are you interested in getting into that kind of grappling as well? You know, definitely. Um, I was uh, kind of on board to be on either SUG 1 or 2. Um, but, uh, you know, I had a fight come up, and then there was another time I had an injury. So I'd really like to get on one of those cards or start possibly competing in, you know, other places as well. But uh, I just got to find the time for it, and I can't afford to get hurt doing it when I have a fight coming up, you know. I've, I'm 36 now, so I figure I got another good three years or so of fighting in me, and then... You know, I might focus more on the, on the pro grappling stuff. Yeah, and it, it that that certainly makes a ton of sense too. Knowing you know that that the freak injuries that do eventually happen and, and things like that, needing to stay active. Now, your your former teammate or current still teammate Shale Sonnen, uh is one of those guys who who helps run the submission underground or runs the submission underground on his own. He's got a big fight coming up himself, uh, headlining MSG. Uh, what are your expectations for your teammate, and how does he look in training, getting ready? You know, Chell looks great, like he always does. Um, I'm pretty uh, excited for this fight for Chell. I think he follows a smart game plan, 
uh, stays mentally focused the entire time, he should have no problem um, finishing Vanderlei or, you know, um, dominating for the three rounds. So he just has to stay mentally focused, you know, 100% of the fight. He could beat any man in the world. You know, obviously your, your two fights are coming up pretty much at the same time. Is is that a thing that you look for when you're uh, when you're training, that you're looking for you and your teammates to be peaking right around the same time? Um, for sure, it's great. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's great. It doesn't always happen like that, but it's working out great because we also have Ronnie Marks. Uh, and who just fought in, in Russia, and he's also fighting on the 30th. So Charles fighting one weekend, then Ronnie, and then me. So we're all, you know, boom, boom, boom. And we got, you know, a whole plethora of other young studs in there, too, who are fighting all the time as well. Yeah, so that's that's certainly great for preparation purposes. Now, and it's also great because, you know, both Ronnie Marks and Shale Sonnen are roughly your size. Um, now, now, with your size, uh, this fight... Coming up, is this one at middleweight or light heavyweight? Because I've seen some uh, some contrasting things out there. This is at light heavyweight. I think the UFC announced it originally on accident as a middleweight. I don't know if the social media guys dropped the ball on that or what happened, but it's at light heavyweight. That's what my contract says um, for sure. So, yeah, yeah we're, both, we're both former middleweights, you know, so it's kind of a cool matchup. Yeah, and so yeah, we saw it on their social media saying middleweight, but then we saw it about a dozen other places at 205, including you know your Twitter saying 205. Uh, your your choice to move from middleweight to light heavyweight comes kind of towards the end of your career to to move back up to that division. Um, and you're one and one since moving up. What is the big difference for you in training at 205 versus training at 185? Um, I don't have to watch my diet every day. I don't have to get on the scale every day. You know, I'm fighting more at my natural weight. Um, so it's, it's been great. You know, I've been doing this for a long time. So stressing all the time about the diet and the weight cut gets really old. So to, to cut that, you know, try to cut my every little bit of stress down that I can. And I felt like that, that one was worth doing. Um, going up in weight can be dangerous, but you know, I've never lost a fight because guys are bigger and stronger than me. Usually it's speed, even with my last fight. You said speed's the only thing that's ever cost you, you know, uh, in a fight. What do you think, where do you compare against C.B. Dalloway when it comes to speed? Well, you know, speed, obviously, I've made mistakes that have cost me, you know, fights as well as guys being awesome. awesome <laughs> guys in the world, you know. Um, but, uh, you know, I feel we're, we're I'm, I think I got some speed on C.B. If not, we're pretty similar. You know, neither one of us were the fastest middleweights. <laughs> so uh, we'll see, you know, who's, uh, who's moving the best, really. Again, it depends on uh, which one of us shows up that night, you know, um, we match up pretty evenly in a lot of ways, so it should be an exciting fight for everybody. Yeah, and we certainly can't wait to see it. Uh, Ed, we'd love to thank you for the time. Uh, Ed Herman fights C.B. Dalloway at the Ultimate Fighter Finale on July 7th. And, Ed, we wish you the best of luck in that fight. Hey, thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate it. There you have it, Gumby. Ed, short fuse, Herman. You know, we, we mentioned it before the interview, too. He kind of nailed that Shale Sonnen thing. Uh, you know, with so many people thinking that fight was going to go one way or another, he, he's right. As long as Shale Sonnen fights that fight smart, he wins. And that's exactly what we saw. He took down a, a guy who's probably a better striker repeatedly until he won. And, uh, 
you know, props to, to his teammate for realizing that and props to Shale Sonnen for executing. Now, you asked him the question right off the bat, what has made him be, uh, you know, be able to last such a survivor in the UFC ranks here when seemingly, you know, everyone gets cut unless you're a mega champion mm-hmm. or a title contender. And he's, you know, always kind of been maybe more on the gatekeeper side. But why do you think he's had the staying power? I think he's just so exciting. You know, like, you know, I think if you look back into his record, I think he's 10 and 9 with a no contest or something like that in the UFC. And so, you know, you would assume somebody like that would probably be fired by now, but he's so damn exciting. I saw him in Boston and I kept thinking to myself, this dude's at the tail end of his career. I've been watching him for years. And sure enough, he surprises you with like a 41 second killer knee knockout. Mm -hmm. And you think to yourself, that's why they can't let him go. He's so damn exciting. And you you never watch a dull Ed Herman fight. Never. You know, it's funny. In his last four losses in the UFC, Aaron Simpson, Jacare, Thales Latis, and Derek Brunson. Oh, and Nikita Krylov. But... You know, it, it kind of gives you a sense. He's losing to pretty good guys. Those, those are all legit dudes. Yeah. Real legit dudes. It, and But if you look at some of his wins, though, dude, he's got wins over some really legit dudes. Tim Bush, Raphael Natal, uh, Trevor Smith going back for his last three wins. Yeah, and I think, was it Sean O'Connell? He got that 41-second knee knockout I'm talking about, too, who's also not a slouch. He's a Jeremy Horn product. Are you going back like a really long time? He did it in Boston. That's all I can remember. Well, I'll tell you this much. He has a win over Glover Teixeira back in 2005. <laughs> nice. Wait, really? Is, <laughs> hold on. We're putting the intern on that. Did you know Ed Shortfuse Herman had a was win it over Glover? non-UFC? It was non-UFC, yeah. What, what organization out of curiosity? Uh, SPF? Yeah. Or SF? I don't know what that's. Yeah, I don't for. know either. Yeah, Glover started his career 2-2 two and two with one loss being to Ed Herman, and then he that's when he just went on from 2000. 2006 to you know till like 2014 a what looks like a 18 fight win streak yeah so you know you're you're 100 right i mean he's got wins over such legit dudes and he's so exciting you can't let somebody like that go he's he's a commodity for the ufc to book on on something like fs1 or fight pass all right, well, I want to change gears here, going from MMA and uh, veterans like Ed Shortfuse Herman. You and I are both grappling nerds. We've made, uh, you know, we, we've admitted that many times before. We got a chance to talk to one of the Danaher Death Squad members, kind of like Danaher Death Squad, the new class, kind of yeah. like Saved by the Bell, the new class, <laughs> because obviously the three established guys are Eddie Cummins, Gary Tonin, and... Um, uh, Gordon, Gordon Ryan. Ryan. Then you have that second wave, which is Gordon Ryan's 16-year-old brother, Nicky Ryan, and Oliver Taza. And we got a chance to talk to Oliver Taza about all matters, uh, no-gi submission grappling, sub-only grappling, and we'd like to play that for you now. This interview is brought to you by Band Coffee. Band Coffee makes the world's strongest coffee. Head on over to bandcoffee.com. Enter in promo code TOPTURTLEMMA for a 20% discount Band Coffee brings you our interview with Danaher Death Squad member Oliver Taza. It's Daniel Gumby Vreeland here with my co-host Dave Tremonte with Flow Combat's Top Turtle MMA, and we are talking to Danaher Death Squad member Oliver Taza, who just qualified for the Abu Dhabi Submission Championships in Abu Dhabi. So, Oliver, uh, since the sub-only movement has really taken off, the DDS has really gotten a lot of publicity lately on all kinds of media sites. Uh, they're on the front of grappling websites, MMA websites, pretty much everything. What's it like to train in a gym that always seems to be in the media somewhere? 
it's very uh, it's very fun to be always surrounded by guys uh, surrounded by media because it will it pushes us to um, you know compete compete um, against kind of each other at the gym. You know when you uh, when you start the training and you have uh, five six five six guys who compete on a regular. It's always exciting. It's always challenging, and I think um, what, what's making us pretty good is that everybody's been so active lately, and um, that's been helping us a lot. Uh, kind of like reaching our our uh, our peak before competition. Absolutely, and and you haven't been in jujitsu that long. I think that's something people forget. However, you've been wildly successful. The obvious the answer to that, like you said, is good training partners, good coaching, lots of training for uh, specific events that are coming up. But what else do you think makes your ascension to the top of the sport so fast uh, and so effective? Um, I have uh, both coaches that are uh, under Hensel Gracie, uh, Faraz Zahabi, and Don Danaher. Both of them always... Uh, put a lot of emphasis on doing the mental work uh, instead of doing the physical work. So instead of, for example, when you're rolling, instead of always going 100%, always going as hard as you can, always trying to think what, during your rolls, trying to go through moves as much as you can, go through techniques. And uh, that, helped, that helped us a lot while we're rolling. You know, some people roll without really having a goal. They go into the session and they're just, all right, I'm going to train. It's good. It's not bad. You're doing the physical work and you're showing up to class, but you have to do something uh, over uh, over the the fact that you're just showing up. You got to think. You got to plan what you want to do, what you want to work on. And uh, when when you start planning your your sessions and you you have a goal in mind when you're walking in onto the mat, it helps a lot because it, it helps you work on specific things, prepare you for comps, and just make you make you improve a lot faster in general. Absolutely. I mean, that that makes a ton of sense. Uh, you mentioned you might not be going 100% all the time. When you are training, though, with Gordon Ryan, Eddie Cummings, Gary Tonin, you know, uh, the three probably most famous members out of that gym, does it ever get discouraging rolling with all those guys? It does, it does. But like I said, even even them, when you're rolling, sometimes they'll, they'll, they're very, uh, they, they're all very smart. You know, they're Sometimes they let they let us work, you know. They let the less advanced, less experienced guys uh, work, you know, on them, try stuff, and it sets an example for the rest of the uh, the rest of the team. You know, they, you see how they're rolling, how they're training, and like I said, it sets an example. It gets discouraging sometimes when you're going 100 percent with all three of them in a row, but usually that's not the case. Usually you'll have like Gary who plays a lot, a lot while he's rolling. You know, Gordon, same thing. They'll put each other, they'll put themselves in back spots. And, uh, you know, it could get discouraging, but it could also be very encouraging to, to roll with them. It's very helpful also, you know, to have their feedback all the time. I think that's mainly the reason why you see a lot of us from the team, not just me, just improving very fast. Uh, it's just a teamwork, really. Everybody's helping each other, and mainly the top three setting the example for the rest of us and just kind of following their footsteps and, you know, trying to adapt our game to their style and philosophy. How and you're going to be seeing a, a lot more people like get, improve fast within like a year, two years. Even you have Nikki, you have my teammate Ethan. Like all, all three of us, you know, haven't been training for a long time, and you know, you're going to see a lot more guys from our team soon um, make a name for for themselves. Just because you know we have the top guys really set a good example for the rest of us. Uh, you know, I always wonder when I'm watching the Danaher death squad compete at like an EBI, uh, you know, the, 
his back control system and obviously the leg lock system stand out to me. Uh, whereas it feels like competition is having trouble kind of keeping up. Is it pure technique? Is it more of a mentality? Uh, what do you think makes the Danaher death squad, uh, you know, that back control system, the leg lock system, why are people having trouble keeping up? Um, I mean, you, you see people are kind of slowly catching up. You know, a lot of people have access to tape, slow grappling, YouTube. All those, all those events are streamed. People have access to them. They can go back. So, I mean, people are struggling. People are catching up, too. But also, um, I feel like we can link them up together pretty well. You can go from the back to the legs, to the, to the head, to the arm bar. We chain them up pretty well. So, I feel when you, when you put in... When you're putting in reps over reps over reps, it, it becomes kind of uh, second nature when you get there. Mm. And uh, just putting the emphasis on, on all the little details helps a lot also. Just breaking things down, having a system. If your opponent does this, you do that. If he does that, you do this. You know, setting, setting up dilemmas, you know, giving them no choice but to give something. You know, that's... So, yeah, because yeah. it's, t- I'm sorry to interrupt, it's tough sometimes to tell, you know, and I do, I do this, you know, I'll go on YouTube, I'll watch an EBI back, it's not necessarily that there's some sort of magic Danaher technique to how you're hooking, like, uh, taking a heel, it's more the mm-hmm. system as, like, a compilation of things, you know what I'm trying to say? Like, the sum is greater than the parts, almost? Yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Nicky Ryan, uh, Gordon's brother, who, I be- is he 16 or 17 years old? He's, uh, I believe he's 16. Yeah. I'm uh, um, turning 17 soon. I'm not sure. I yeah. think, no, I think he's almost 16. I'm not sure. Though. He, he's he's six- young. Either way, he's so young. What's it like see- young. seeing someone like that? I mean, do older guys who go against him get a little deflated after he, you know, reaps their knee and takes their heel? What's it like training with such a young uh, phenom? I mean, I don't really see him as a kid anymore, to be honest with you. I, I see him just as, like, any other any other teammate, adult teammate. It doesn't feel like you're only with a kid when you're, when you're training with him. Um, really technical, smart guy, too. You know, he's not trying to hurt anybody. He's, uh, you know, putting himself on. He's doing everything right, you know, just listening to whatever coaches have to tell him. And um, you see the results, and it's pretty impressive, you know, seeing somebody so young. Um, just be so so disciplined. I think he's maybe the most mature of, out of all of us. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, yeah, very, very uh, ahead of ahead of his time. You know? That's ahead awesome. Time for sure. Um, so yeah, what... he's gonna be he's gonna be competing against uh, Marvin Marvin Castell, I think, on the seventeenth. Oh, yeah, from I mean, from Tenth Planet up in in Ithaca, yeah. New York. Yep. Yeah, it's gonna be a good one. I can't wait to see that. Wow. Um, well, I want to bring it back to you. Um, you know, you've had so much success, as we said, qualifying here for ADCC uh, and, you know, winning so many tournaments. What's what's the end goal for you, Oliver? Are, do you ever think about making a jump into MMA or are you just solely focused on submission grappling right now? What's kind of your end game, I guess, in, in the long run? Uh, the, in the long run, I want to uh, I want to be able to win at the highest level, of course. Just like every uh, most competitors, everybody wants to you know win at black belt level, gi, no gi. Also, I'd love to one day be able to compete at the highest level, you know, in the gi, IBJJF. You know, I know the worlds are on now, 
And, uh, you know, it's, it's very inspiring to see all the, those black belts win year over year. So that's something I'd like to do also one day, be able to compete in under all rules. So maybe one day, I don't know, after ECC, I'll shift my, my focus more to, to the Gi. I'll shift my focus more to, to like, uh, the eight point system. You know, just try, try to balance it up between both. You know, you get you get a lot of exposure from winning submission only. It goes viral. It's very good, but it's also, also important to win other tournaments. You know, since the sub only seems a little, it's not, it's growing very fast. But it, we tend to run into each other very often, the same guys. So, you know, you, you're looking for a change. So I think, I think I'll be, I'll be looking, maybe not MMA right now, but maybe other rule sets, mm-hmm. other parts of the world. You know, I was competing in Europe. Uh, I just got back from Europe on uh, two days ago and I was doing local comps there, submission only comps there. And, it, and it's fun to compete against different people, see different styles. And uh, that kind of made me want to do gi, st- gi competitions, point system, and just be, you know, versatile, be good at everything, really. That, that's my main, my main goal for now, maybe after ADCC. Interesting. You know, maybe switch my focus to something else. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. So let, let's just ask the, the one uh, kind of big question. So you're, you're qualified for ADCCs, which is maybe the biggest tournament uh, as far as submission grappling goes in the world, describe that feeling when you won your last match and you knew you would get to compete on the biggest stage of them all. Uh, it was it was insane. I know, I don't think I've ever felt this dissatisfied, especially if you take into account the three trials where I lost before that. And uh, it was it was a great feeling to finally win it. And it was the last one. It was my last chance. If I lose this one, that was it. I'll have to wait another another two years and uh i mean i'm so motivated for it right now it's uh it's gonna be it's gonna be a great three months of preparation and i'm looking forward to it just like the thing that i'm most excited about right now is is adcc really and get to compete against guys that have been competing for for 10 10 years guys with a lot of experience and i feel just the fact that i'm in it right now i feel privileged after three and a half years of training to get to compete against all those those big names you know, I don't think I'll be I'll get to compete against them any any other competition yet. You know, I'm I'm still brown belt, so like to compete against them as black belt is impossible. To call them out doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, to run into them into a submission only bracket, I doubt. So ADCC is the only place where I can you know test myself against these high level guys and to measure and see where I'm at after this amount of time. And it's it's something I'm really looking forward to. I hope I get a big name first fight like get it right off the bat start with the hardest if i can and, that'd be even better and we'd love to see it too so uh oliver we can't thank you enough for the time oliver a donather death squad mom member catch him at mm-hmm. adcc's in three months thank you so much for the time oliver thank you for having me all right gumby there you have it oliver taza it, it really says something about that team right now that the guy who we just mentioned is probably on that like second tier is going to ADCCs as a as a trials winner. I'll tell you what else kind of stood out to me was the way he said that Nikki Ryan might be the most mature, or what do you say, like the <laughs> the one to I guess I don't know. Yeah, the, he's he's the most mature. mature and, yeah, yeah. I, that's crazy. I mean, first of all, he's fifteen, sixteen years old. He just had that uh, grappling match with who was that uh, at a tenth planet? Castile. Oh, uh, uh, Marvin Castell. Yeah. Marvin Castell. And if you haven't seen that, if you're a grappling nerd, Google Marvin Castell versus Nikki Ryan. Just an incredible I mean, it's match. An incredible match. Yeah. 
Anyway, well, that was us being uh, grappling nerds. Thank you for indulging us. <laughs> uh, we will be back next week. We taped this before UFC Oklahoma, so we hope you enjoy the fights. We predicted Michael Chiesa would get the win. Submission. We'll s- He's getting the rear naked choke tonight. We'll see if that comes true, and we'll be back next week. I am David Tremonti. He is Daniel Gumby-Vreeland. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and we'll be back next week.